0: Hello, everybody. All right. This is how this is going to go. I'm going to set down some game rules here. Uh, We take this part serious, and we don't take this part that serious. So this part serious, this part not so much. So if I try to be corny or humorous and it doesn't land, tough. But if it is funny and you laugh, I'll just do more of that. So that's how that'll work. That's how it'll work. If you notice up there behind me, yeah, still there, more like Jesus is what we're going for. I, um, I believe in my heart very much that uh, Christians have gotten off track to a degree, not because they intended to, but because religion tends to drift toward rules and it tends to drift toward uh, criticism. And it tends to drift towards seriousness. And it's serious matters. It's, I, I, I believe the gravity of what we're part of is huge. I believe that uh, Christianity has to be taken serious because of the simple fact that the ramifications are either eternal in heaven or eternal in hell. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 2, as you can see up there behind me. Uh, and I may deviate from some of the scriptures that are put up week to week. We're going to look at Jesus from a number of angles, but the first angle that I'm going to approach is the miraculous Jesus, and there are 37 miracles. 37 times the authors in the Bible recorded miracles. So we're going to be talking about miracles and trying to break down a little bit of Jesus in the midst of his miracles. I believe they reveal a lot about his character. Thomas Jefferson thought that uh, we didn't need that part. He, he liked the, he liked the uh, philosophy of Jesus, so you can get a Jefferson Bible where he's deleted everything else. And all you have is the teaching of Jesus. You don't have the miraculous. Thomas Jefferson felt that was unnecessary, and he didn't necessarily even believe in that part. But he loved what Jesus had to say. Well, I love what Jesus has to say, too. And Jesus has a lot to say. We know that. Read the red and, you know, pray for the Spirit, because God's going to move. But at the same time, I want to look at what Jesus did. There's some interesting things in this passage, and you may agree or disagree, but I'm the one with the mic, so get over it. It's okay. <laughs> you know, that's how that works. That's how it works. Understand. I, I really love, uh, Dutch Sheets wrote a book called The River, and I love the introduction in there because he talks about Jesus and he's with Jesus, and there's a river coming out of the throne. It's a river of life. And and he's he's in this river, and, and Jesus is splashing him. And he's splashing Jesus back, and Jesus dunks him. But instead of choking and gagging, he feels free. And in the water, he sees all of the yuck in his life going on downstream. And he comes up, and Jesus is laughing and spraying him with water. And, you know, we have to have a different view of Jesus. That... That image up there, you know, maybe for some people that's not the greatest image, but that's one of my favorite images because it shows Jesus the way I see Jesus. Sometimes I look at our paintings and, you know, i got a little halo and he looks so serious. And, and, I, and the business of Jesus is serious, don't get me wrong. But I want to take us on a journey that's more personal to me. And so I may go in a direction that you don't see it that way. Well, you know what, that's okay. You don't have to see everything the way I see it. But maybe if you see it through my eyes, you'll see Jesus in a little different perspective. I'm not here to convince you of anything. I want you to read your Bible. I've always believed that no matter what we hear from the pulpit, we need to see it for ourselves in the Word. Because at the end of the day, the Word's the final authority, not me. Not me. So I'm here to teach, and I'm here to kid. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'm going to do this. My wife thinks... I'm ridiculous for some of the things that I do. But she still loves me, so it's a miracle right there. See, that's the miraculous power of Jesus right there. But, um, you know, I just, and this is sort of a this is a big concern in the church. You know, the church has, has been concerned about losing its culture and its history and its past and, and losing our traditions. And we worry so much. We worry. We stress out about it. You know, uh, I think that some people almost lost their faith when the hymnals were taken from churches. They almost lost their faith. And I think if they're still relevant, those old songs matter. So I'm going to put up one for you, Justin, wherever you are. I'm going to put up one song for you to bring back. It's a classic. It's still relevant. You'll have to learn the tune, but I think you can bring it back. It's, it goes like this. I am stuck on Band-Aid. And Band-Aid stuck on me. This is a classic, and it's still relevant. I still find a place for Band-Aid in my life. I love the Band-Aid. And so, you know, just work with me. I think that we can make that work and, and keep our culture. I do believe that people have lost the ability to laugh. This culture is trying to steal our joy. But I want to tell you something. Jesus was full of joy. People were not attracted to him because he was uptight and stuffy and hard to deal with and full of rules. They came to Jesus because he was full of life. They came to Jesus because he was full of joy. They came, to, And the miracle tonight is going to talk about that. But I want you to understand that the Jesus I know loves me. He's not in a bad mood. He's excited to be in a relationship with us. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm feeling better. I told you it worked, work, Connie. I told you. Okay. We're going to the wedding at Cana. Wedding's a big deal. Their feast for a wedding that last seven days. I mean, my. You know, uh, it's interesting. In Jewish families, they must have had a lot of cups and glasses missing because they always wrap one in a, you know, a towel and, and step on it in the wedding. I'm thinking, how many stitches have those grooms gotten over time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it was a big deal. It lasted a week, and it was a celebration. You know, the covenant we make with our spouse needs to be more greatly celebrated than it is. We've made it so much of a will struggle, so much of a his and hers and mine, and, and you know, uh, people dividing property. It's interesting. You ask somebody... Who do you love the most in the whole world? And if you're asking an engaged couple, he'll say, oh, oh, I love Honeypoo and Sweetie Pie. She's the love of my life. And, and she'll go, oh, my, my handsome suitor. Oh, oh, he's the love of my life, you bunch of liars. <laughs> Nobody marries anybody because they love them so much. They marry people because they love me so much. And that person makes me feel good. That person loves me. That person likes me. I'm marrying them out of the convenience of being able to celebrate me. But nobody talks about that. See, they, they make romantic songs about, oh, I just, I just want to give up my whole life for you. You're not even giving up the remote for her. Come on. Let's be honest. It's all about, it's all about how she makes me feel or how he makes her feel that 's what brings people together it's it's that we have things in common and we feel this agreement between us and we we 're drawn to each other and and so you know don 't believe for a minute that anybody is sacrificing their whole life for their spouse. I mean we should live like that, but they don 't do it do they? They get upset because you know i just i just uh, you know I just want what I want you know in the beginning it 's like uh it's amazing, isn't it, how selfless we sound. How, and then at the end, how selfish we sound. You know, uh, he, uh, he just doesn't love me the way I want to be loved. She just doesn't, just doesn't do it for me. She doesn't care like the person at work or the person down the street or whatever, you know. And the Bible talks about that. Why are you coveting your neighbor's wife? What are you doing Lusting over somebody that doesn't belong to you, they belong to somebody else. When did a wedding ring become a challenge instead of a boundary? You know, uh, uh, marriage is an important institution that God created. It's old. You know, they say the oldest profession is prostitution. Liar, liar, pants on fire. The oldest one was gardening. But, you know... uh, they were married in the beginning and, and it was beautiful and they were together and and he was dumb enough to follow her out of the garden because she ate and he knew what was next and so he ate too. It's the only girl in the house. I'm leaving. I'm going. With wherever you're going, I'm going. Marriage is an interesting thing, isn't it? So let's talk about Cana. Jesus' ministry had already launched, so there's a statement he makes that doesn't make sense. See, uh, it says that his cousin baptized him in the last chapter. John saw Jesus coming toward him. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice he didn't say, "Hey, cuz, what's happening?" He knew Jesus. They'd already played Israelites and Egyptians. They already knew each other, and they had they had encountered each other because they were cousins. And so, he knew Jesus as the man, and he didn't know who the Messiah would be till he arrived. And when Jesus arrived, he tells his cousin, I'm not worthy to unlace your sandal, man. I can't do it. And he said, John, do it for me. Just baptize me, okay, John? I mean, we got to get into the story a little bit. You know, the Bible is not some holy book that doesn't have real people in it. John's preaching, you know, hellfire and damnation and he's going hammer and tong at it and they're coming out and, you know, he's drawing a crowd and whatnot. But he's also saying, you know, I'm, I'm just this one rolling out the carpet for the one who's to come. He's going to increase. I'm going to decrease. And then his cousin shows up. His cousin shows up and he, he baptizes him. And Jesus goes to this wedding with disciples so I want to set the stage here. This is a ministry that's already started. The heavens have opened, like Pastor said. It cracked the sky and they, they heard, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now I love what Pastor has said several times. He hadn't done anything yet. He was born. He hadn't fed 5,000, you know, with his Samson lunchbox at school, you know cafeteria is having something they don't want well, we don't like that meatloaf thing here here i'll just uh, multiply this fish we'll have some sardines and crackers you know it wasn't like that he hadn't done it yet he'd been a carpenter he'd been a son you know i just believe that mary never used to switch on jesus i don't know the creator of the heavens and the earth mm. that's probably where time out started you know <laughs> go sit in the corner jesus uh time out. Was he the perfect son? He was human. Now, I don't believe he sinned, so what does that tell you? He never lied to mom, right? He never stole from a neighbor or from the store. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't sin. The sacrifice would have been worthless if it was blemished. It had to be perfect. But was it easy to raise Jesus? We know when he was 12, he's so busy impressing the religious leaders that this 12 year old knows scripture better than they do he gets left behind when everybody leaves town they just figure he joined in with them to take the caravan home and they go hey have you seen jesus i haven't seen him anywhere we can make that simpler too by the way in the old testament he would have been called joshua yeshua you know so uh sometimes Jesus, in particular, is the name we single out, but that's just because of the translation we're reading from. He's really Joshua, Joshua. So Yeshua, you know, have you seen? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? We haven't seen him. Uh, that boy, where is he? And they go back and find Jesus creating awe in men that are scholars. Because if you read the first part of the first chapter of 1 John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You skip down a few verses and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Wow! They weren't talking to one with knowledge of the Word. They were talking to the Word. Wow! You know, have you ever? Can you put yourself there? The Creator. When Mary was holding Jesus at the manger and looking in his eyes, she was seeing a reflection in her Creator of herself. I didn't create him, he created me. Without him was nothing made that was made. We got to get Jesus. We, we want to humanize him, but we never want to forget the deity of this God. The amazing deity, not just sort of deity. He's God. You know, there's a lot of wise men that became religious or cultish leaders of different religions around the world. And some of them have some wisdom. Some of them actually know something. You know, they'll give you a little piece of wisdom and you can go, wow. But uh, they're not God. They might have made great observations. They may have learned something from ancient writings. They may, they may have some knowledge that people wanted to write down because that was a real, ooh, that was a good one. I'm going to write that down. But they weren't God. This was God in the flesh. So he goes to a wedding at Cana with his disciples. So his ministry is launched. You know, Jesus only gets three years. I pastored... Six churches. I was in a rescue mission for 10 years uh, as a chaplain, you know, pastoring the guys in recovery. And, uh, And I think how much I feel that I didn't fulfill all the years that God could have used me in one capacity or another. So I look at Jesus. How brief is three years? And yet it's recorded that if everything he did and said was recorded, we couldn't get enough parchment to put it all down. Some of these stories that we read duplicated between the four Gospels, some of these stories, it wasn't months and years. It was in a few days that all these things happened. And they, did you get that? What, what, what did yours say? Like these three, four witnesses standing on different corners, they viewed this event and tried to capture and encapsulate some of what happened. We only have a fraction of what he did in three years. And the fraction we have is amazing. So Jesus has not performed a miracle yet. You know, um, he has wowed people with his wisdom. He has gathered some disciples. I love the way he gathered disciples too. It was amazing. Walk up to some guy working, you know. Hey, follow me. And these guys left their profession. Left their wealth. Left their... means you know we get so stuck we get so stuck in what we know the unknown's kind of crazy now when you were a Jewish boy you would go to school till you're 12 and then you'd either learn a trade or you'd follow a rabbi Jesus was not trained by a rabbi he was trained to follow into his father's profession as a carpenter that wasn't the ultimate goal but that's where he went. When Jesus came along, these were also men that had been passed over. They weren't considered sharp enough, wise enough, or whatever. They hadn't been picked by a rabbi to follow them. You know, they used to have a saying that they were covered in their rabbi's dust. And the idea was, you know, I've been picked. And I'm, I'm learning my rabbi so well that when he's gone, I can replace him and continue on his, his work. And so Jesus comes out of nowhere and tells guys fishing, follow me. Tells guys, men in nets, follow me. Goes over and talks to a guy and uh, said, I saw you under that tree. And he's like, uh, wow, you're the Messiah, aren't you? Why, because I said you were under a tree? No, because under that tree he was probably saying, when are you going to come, Lord? Where are you? Why haven't you showed up? And then God walks into his life and says, I I did. I'm here. Wow. Jesus knows your heart. Now, a wedding is a beautiful thing. We put up our topper from our wedding. They pulled it from the cake. This lady was famous for her cake. So it wasn't a beautiful wedding cake. It was an edible one. But uh, there was a great piece of it for us, you know. It was a piece from the top. It was for us and uh, we wrapped it up and sent it home with my parents and went off on our little honeymoon. We came back and said, where's our topper? And they said, it was delicious. (laughs) It was delicious? That was for us. Oh, it was? Well, it tastes really good. I'm like, come on. The only piece of cake that we tasted was the one we fed to each other, you know. And that's like, that was, I don't remember if it was good or not. I heard good things about it. A wedding is a time of celebration. The way Connie and I did our wedding, uh, we had a foot washing at the wedding. We, uh, we uh, you know, went through the ceremony and did a foot washing. And uh, Did we do a unity candle, Connie? Why is your head hiding behind the pew there? I don't know what that's about. But um, she's getting lower in the seat every minute here. But... Um, We did something I'd never seen. Now, you may have seen this at a wedding. I never saw it. Um, After the wedding was pretty much done, and we came down to the main floor, people gathered around us to pray. My father came and gave me a blessing. He didn't really stand out. He's not that kind of guy. He's too subtle for that. But he, he gave us a blessing while other people were praying for us. And then before we departed, you know, it's that, here's Mr. and Mrs. Tim Nelson, or Connie and Tim Nelson, or Mrs. and... Mr. Connie Nelson, I'm not sure how that went, but uh, uh, we were, uh, we were uh, exiting, but we stopped. We said, you know, we're so glad all y'all honored us with your presence at our wedding. It means a lot, but there's a wedding coming, and you've been invited, and we don't want you to miss it. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's coming soon. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you can make heaven your home and and make it to this very special wedding. And that would be more important to us than than that you came to ours. But uh, now nobody, you know, I had an altar call. Anybody here need to, you know, accept that invitation? I didn't have anybody raise their hand, but I do believe there were people there that need to hear that it's important so Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana he probably uh, being God knew everything that was about to happen but it's really interesting how the narrative goes it's one of my favorite passages can you imagine he made from 120 to 180 gallons of wine at this wedding can you imagine if you had a bottle of that you know Cana. Can you imagine? Cana. 3 BC. You know? Jesus. Vineyard. You know, whatever they want to say. That'd go for quite a bit on eBay or something, wouldn't it? I mean, you could take that to an auction house. What did it taste like? What was it like? We're going to get to that in a minute, but let's start at the beginning here. So the next day, Jesus was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. So they're halfway into their festivities for the week, and the wine's gone. And the wine represents so many good things. Wine represents you know, the joy and happiness of this celebration. And, and the wine has run out. And this is going to be a humiliation, not just an embarrassment, but a humiliation that the wedding party didn't plan to carry this event through its completion. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked? What's it to me? What's it to you? What's what? What? Can you hear somebody saying that? What? What's it to me, Mom? It's amazing what he says next, because, you know, there's even a passage that says, woman. (laughs) If I told my mom woman, uh, she'd take me out of this world. I call my wife woman when she lets me, but um, I don't want her to get, get upset. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asks. My time has not yet come. That translation is probably a little different than some of the ones you've heard, but uh, my time hasn't come kind of throws people a little bit because his ministry is already starting. He hasn't gone to the cross or resurrection, but his ministry started. He's gathering up disciples. He's already been baptized. God has already spoken and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's already been out into the world. So what's going on here? It's not my wedding. It may be that he performed this miracle because he was thinking about the joy of the wedding that he has coming one day. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I do know that he's kind of like digging in a little bit on mom. And it's really fascinating uh, what comes next. Tommy Barnett had the pope coming to his city. He was a pastor of Phoenix First Assembly of God in Arizona he'd taken a church from about 200 to 10,000 really amazing pastor he had a church of about 8,000 in Des Moines Iowa and uh, he received the call to pastor and it's an interesting choice isn't it to go from a church of 8,000 to 200 and he went to this pretty little church of 200 and filled it with people he was such a loving compassionate man with so many ideas just the most a motivating guy you can imagine he's amazing and uh His son, Matthew, has been amazing as well. But the Pope's coming. So what do you do with that? I mean, we're not completely in sync doctrinally with the Catholics. Could I say that? Is that politically correct? I got a few nods from the right people, so I'm okay. But uh, he had the Pope coming to town, and uh, so he put out an advertisement why I love the Virgin Mary. Why I love the Virgin Mary from an Assembly God pastor? What? Because of what she says. Jesus said, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time's not yet come. This isn't my wedding. What's it to me that their wine ran out? Let them drink Fruit Punch. I don't, you know, whatever. Send them down to 7 Eleven. Get a whole bucket of Slurpee, you know. Make it the. Raspberry red or something. Mary says to the servants, this is why we love Mary. Do whatever he tells you to do. You want the best advice you can find in the Bible? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. It doesn't matter what he tells you to do. If Jesus told you to stand on one foot, he'd have a reason for it. Jesus tells us things that go contrary to what our logic would tell us to do. Love your enemy. No, not so much. Pray for those that spitefully use you. Yeah, I can do that. Fire wrath from God, yea, barely break off their teeth, Lord. That's not what he had in mind. You know, you can read that in the Psalms. I can't imagine singing that, you know. Break the teeth, break the teeth, break their teeth off God. You know, what would that be like? Rain down wrath, rain down wrath, rain it down today. Hey, you know. Of course, if you did the Jewish dance with it, it would make it all better. I don't know. Hey, do the circle, you know. The man. It's a good thing you're sitting way back there because I'd be losing it with you on the front row. You know, with this, with this whole idea here is God understood they're in a point of embarrassment, a point of humiliation. Their joy is just about ready to be sucked out of this celebration. And Mary says, even after he says, what's it to me, woman? That'd be like me calling my mom by her first name or something. It'd be like, what's it to me? Mom, I mean, uh, you know. So he says, My time's not yet come. Why are you bothering me with this? And she doesn't wait for him to respond to her. She says, Do whatever he tells you to do. I love that. I love that transition from, Why are you bothering me with this, Mom, to do whatever he tells you to do. Listen to that transition. Listen to her confidence. My son's got this. She knows who her son is. She knows. Now imagine raising Jesus and feeling the the pressure of him being called a bastard son. Did you know that? The religious leaders did it all the time. They ridiculed his birth because it was known that he wasn't Joseph's. And it was never revealed whose he was. Mary knew whose he was. But if you were Mary, who would believe you? Who would believe you? You're engaged. You come up pregnant. Her husband at least was a nice enough guy to put her away quietly instead of drag her out to be stoned. Imagine. Imagine what's going through his mind. Imagine what it was like. The scandal of it. You know, one thing about religious people, and the Jews were very religious, especially the religious leaders, but the Jews had... All these rules. The more you keep rules, you know what you do? The more you look down on the ones that don't. What Jesus celebrated was people. He didn't care about the rules. He was always breaking them. He was letting his disciples break them. Go ahead, guys. Have some grain. Well, it's the Sabbath. What are they going to say? I don't care what they say. You're hungry. There's some grain. Have something to eat. And then the religious leaders, sure enough, came along and said, eh, eh, eh. "Not supposed to do that." Well, Jesus looked at the practical side of humanity and the relationship of it. He's looking at this wedding from a practical side. All right, mom. All right. Fill those pots to the top. Six pots, twenty to thirty gallons. 20 to 30 gallons, 120 to 180 gallons of water. I just believe it was amazing, the first guy that dipped a ladle in there, and maybe the servant even looked in. I'm going to be the stock of this wedding when I serve him water. What was it like for him to carry that? Did he start shaking when he got closer because he was going to be so embarrassed himself by serving water in the wine glass? By serving water? Here, have some more. Mm. What kind of faith was involved? There's always characters in the Bible that, uh, that attract me. Like when we did the sermon a few weeks ago, the idea that the thief hanging next to him recognized that Jesus was still yet coming into his kingdom. What was it like to be the servant that took the water to the master of the ceremonies? He carried water in. He knew it was water. Even wincing a little bit, thinking this is not going to turn out well. But following Jesus' direction without question. What was it like? What was it like when the guy says, that's the best wine yet? Boy, wouldn't Welch just like to patent that one. What was it like? How did it taste? Wouldn't you have loved to be there? It's the only time he made wine. He, he multiplied fish and biscuits, but he didn't multiply wine again. What would it be like? What, 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 how did it taste? I don't know. I'm not a wine drinker, I've had grape juice. I've had communion. I've had communion so many times. Don't you just kinda want a little grape juice once in a while and a dry cracker? Although now we've gone away from crackers. You know, some places even tear the bread. I love that when they pass a loaf around. Of course with COVID, that's not gonna fly, but you know, I love it when they tear the bread away. And, and now we're eating styrofoam. Did they take that out of old chairs or something? I don't know what that is. It's just a little round thing. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. They didn't bake that in an oven. I'm sorry. They stamped it out somewhere. And I just feel like, I feel like it's, have you been to that communion? It's like styrofoam. It's like, what in the world? This is the body of Jesus? (laughs) That looks like packing material. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be. At this miracle, the big miracle was that Mary could see beyond the dilemma to the solution. You're in dilemmas. I know you are. You're in dilemmas. You're feeling pressure in one way or another. It can be family pressure. It can be financial pressure. It can be health. It can be spiritual. It can be emotional. I think it's a shame that Christians don't live a little better because I believe we all live below our privilege. Not because God wants us to be uh, spoiled. But I do believe we have a Papa that wants to spoil us. The problem is we never live up to a standard where he can let us have it. You know the only reason you don't get more is because you can't handle more. God has an infinite supply. God has an infinite supply. Do you think he can't make 180 gallons of anything? Do you think he couldn't just make that? 180 gallons of, of gold dust. But we couldn't handle it. We'd go, if I went off the rails and missed heaven because God indulged me, what kind of God would he be? You know, people pray for the gimme, gimme, gimmies, but what would you do if God gave you what you asked for? Ruth Graham said, I'm glad God didn't answer my prayer because I prayed for so many boys to be mine Once I had Billy, I understood he was the one that I was supposed to have. How many times have we prayed, My will be done in Jesus' name? Mary had the faith to see beyond the crisis to the one that could resolve it. And Mary wasn't asking for herself, was she? She was asking to help save face for the couple. What are you praying for? You know, we have our prayer people that pray here on on Tuesdays for the Capitol and for the political situation we're in, for the pastors and for the struggles that many churches are having. They pray for different people's crisis within the church and without the church. People that need healing or provision or something. We have people that are praying on Sunday now uh, preparing for a women's conference there are more women that are praying and new women that are coming in that circle and praying and uh, when prayer is going up power is coming down and the more we pray the more we're going to see happen in this church but we've got to see beyond the moment what do you see when you pray you see a god you need to beg i've never had to beg my parents for anything And there wasn't any point because begging wasn't a motivator for them. But my parents loved being generous. They always fed me and housed me and took care of me. Is God going to do any less? If you feed your children good things, will God not provide good things for you? What are you carrying in your backpack today? What's in your luggage? What's weighing down on you? What is pulling at you? And what is it that God can do? Listen to Mary's advice. Do what he tells you. What does he tell you? Forgive. You'll be forgiven. Knock. The door will be open. Seek. You'll find. Ask. It'll be given to you. Are we seeking? Are we knocking? Are we asking? Well, yeah. Are you? The devil will do everything he can to block your asking, your seeking, and your knocking. The devil will do everything he can to block your time in the Word. He'll do everything he can. But if we're going to see the miraculous, the first step at the first miracle, the first thing is do what he tells you to do. God wants the miraculous to happen right here. And it does. How many of you would say you're saved and going to heaven? Well, we're praying for the rest of you. You know, I just want you to <laughs> Somebody could get the names of those individuals. we'll, We'll send Duane over for a home visit. But here's the thing. The greatest miracle that ever happened is you were raised from the dead. You're alive in Christ. And you were raised from the spiritual death that you were living with. Imagine just carrying around a cadaver. People in the world are dragging around a dead person. If you're separated from Christ, you're not alive. Your life is not about the joys that God created it to be about. It's not about the love that it was created to be about. And sometimes we take our cues from the world, and Jesus wants us to see. Real joy doesn't emanate from the world, it emanates from Him. So why wouldn't this wine emanate from Him? Why wouldn't this first miracle be about the joy of a bride and groom at the celebration of their union? So here is this one simple thought. Do whatever he tells you to do. What has he told you to do? I don't know. Read your Bible. He's talking. Get one of them Bibles with the red letter edition. You remember the red letter edition? Get the red letter edition. Read the red and pray for the power. That was Larry Lee's line, but, you know, I'm going to borrow it tonight. Because here's the thing. God wants to move through you. He said greater things would you do. Because there's more of us. Jesus was in one place at one time doing great things. But now we can all carry that same power and authority in Jesus' name. Where are we going to carry it? What are we going to do with it? Wouldn't it be great to be so in tune with God? So in tune with God. That if they want to know what Jesus wants, they come to you and say, what would Jesus do? What would he want me to do? How would God want me to respond to this? I worked in a place where we had a very difficult boss. My wife worked there too. We know this boss was difficult, but accomplished great things. Okay? So accomplished great things, but a little bit difficult. I think real people that accomplish real things are sometimes a little difficult. Irritating, as it may be. If you're going to command an army, if you're going to um, reach a goal, achieve an accomplishment, you can't always worry about being the most popular person in the room. She was difficult. Wasn't she Connie? I saw those hands go up. I ain't talking about her. I didn't say what her name was or where it was. They'll have to dig deep to find her. But I spent a year or two working very closely with her because we were developing something, and I learned her thinking. So we had a staff of 35, 40 probably, and she would just scare people. You know, leaders can be scary. Not Pastor Matt, but you know other leaders. He's not scary, but he's, like, huggable. But anyway... um, She was scary sometimes. And they would come to me and say, Tim, what would she want? I had my supervisor, my boss, come to me and say, what do you think she would want us to do? Wouldn't it be great if people came to you and said, Jesus is not a scary leader unless you're going to face him in judgment. Right? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came to you and said, What if people came to you and said, What would Jesus want me to do? Wouldn't that be great to have such a relationship with God that people could see it on you and say, I want to know more about how I'm supposed to behave and and how I should respond and how I develop my relationship and how I become wiser in the Word, how I know Jesus better, how I become more like Him? What do I need to do? We need, you know, we have all these plaques and sayings we put up. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I like that. That's good, you know. That's a good one. But wouldn't it be better to put up, do whatever he tells you to do? You want to know how to serve the Lord? Do what Jesus tells you to do. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Uh, How are you going about that? Well, as for me and my house... We'll serve the Lord. How are you doing it? What are you doing to accomplish that goal? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know. Well, what did Jesus tell you to do? Well, you know, go to church and uh, You know, uh, well, he told us to do lots of things. What did he tell us to do? In this case, he told him to do something simple. Just fill those water jars to the brim. And you know the servants did it? They're servants. That's what they do. And maybe up to a point, they were like, "Hmm, this is going to be interesting. I wonder where this is going. Until he said, now, Take some of it to the guy that's going to uh, be in charge here. That might have been a moment when it was a little bit. Have you ever been in that moment where you had to step out in faith beyond what you knew? Have you been in that moment where you had to trust God with all your heart? It's easy to trust God when you can back your play. If it doesn't scare you a little bit, you really haven't stretched yourself. Does God ever scare you a little bit? You've probably heard this before, but I had a lady prophesy over me. I was a chaplain at a rescue mission. I'd been a pastor of at least five times by then. and uh, So I'm, you know, I'm looking for a word that you know, is filled with power and sending me out into the world to accomplish great things for the kingdom. One day I was standing on my lot, and I remembered that prophecy because she said... I see trucks, I see trucks, you're you're backing up trucks, come over here, park it right here, truck right here, park it right here. I'm thinking, God, you told me I was going to be a U-Haul dealer? I was in full-time ministry back then. God will let you know what's ahead, he just may not give you what you thought you wanted around the corner. Have you ever been like on Christmas Day, you're always looking like, that bicycle's got to be here somewhere. Seen a bicycle? Anybody seen a bicycle? I'm hoping for the one with the banana seat. I didn't have a Schwinn. I had a sturdy. Sturdy? You haven't even heard of a sturdy. That's how old I am. I think it was made out of wagon wheels. It was a sturdy. Sturdy. Had a banana seat. You remember sturdy? Well, anyway, you probably don't. It wasn't a Schwinn. The Schwinn was cool. Yeah, the Schwinn even had one that had a gear shift on the, it had a, like a floor shift. What in the world? Schwinn had a shifter on the top bar. Wow. Springer front end. It was cool. The kid that rode that through the neighborhood, he was cool. And I was peddling my sturdy. My wife tells a story where, she wanted a 10-speed, and she got a bicycle with a basket. You remember those, you know, ding, ding, little basket. She wouldn't even ride it. I didn't even want it. Ugh. There are times when God sends us in a direction that doesn't even make sense. How's this help the kingdom? Anybody can rent a U-Haul. But then you have somebody sitting in front of you with you know, black eyes and a hat pulled down way low and just a certain amount of money and they've got to get a truck and run. And you're helping them fit it in their budget and you get the U-Haul rented and you ask them if you can pray with them and they start to cry and say, please do. Or they come on the lot and park under a tree. They're on their way to cancer treatment. Would you come out here and pray one more time with me? Or they come in the office and they swing the door open and you don't recognize them or remember them at all and they said, do you remember when you prayed for me a year ago? There's no sign of cancer anymore. Or they come into your office and say, my old friends, all they want to do is drink. And so I've had to cut them out and I come by here because I think you're my best friend. Or they come into my office and say, You may not realize it, but you're my pastor. I have a pastor that comes into my office so he can talk with me as his pastor. Now, God has a plan. Just do what he tells you to do. It don't make sense putting water in here that, I, that we're not squishing any grapes at all. This is just ridiculous putting, putting water in here. I think I've hauled about 160 gallons of water to fill these stupid pots and all they're full of is water and this is a problem with the wine. Where's the grapes? I would even smash some grapes for him if he would just you know produce some grapes. How many times have you tried to figure God out and God's saying quit it? Just do what Mary did, whatever he says. Do what he tells you to do. What did he tell you to do? Well, I don't know what's next. He didn't say you need to worry about what's next. What's the last thing he told you to do? Well, then do it. You know who God loves the most? The ones that just simply listen and do. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I've got another old song that is still uh, relevant. I just don't think it'll look good next to the Band-Aid song. But in the hymnal that Tim's building, it's It's special to me. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. It's relevant. You know it is. It's relevant. We'll get that book out before too long. But anyway, as we look at this, as we look at this story, and we contemplate what it has to say, Get your pen out, and in verse 5, draw a circle around. Do whatever he tells you to do. When the jars were full, he said, dip some and take it to the master of the ceremony. They followed his instructions. So, Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do in verse 5. Now, circle that over in, uh, well, that would be verse 7. Not quite, well, it's probably an eight. In eight, when he gives them directions, circle the next one. They followed his instructions. And then in verse nine, it says, the ceremony tasted water that was now wine, not knowing where it came from, and it was the best. You've kept the best. God saves the best for last. God brings change God wants you to believe His disciples saw Him in a new light when they saw Him turn tap water into wine. God wants you to see Him in a new light tonight, and He wants you to see Him like this. Do what I tell you to do, and we'll do extraordinary things together. God wants to do extraordinary things. There's got to be something in you as a Christian that burns for a little bit more. A little bit more. And then when you get that little bit more, Jesus, just a little bit more. I want the miraculous to happen. I want to see God. I want to see him. Hopefully this was a good starter. This is just a taste of what we're going to do. And I must be booked in for 37 weeks because there's 37 miracles. So... Buckle up. (laughs) Hopefully, every miracle betrays a little bit of who Jesus is. You know what I love about Jesus? He was different than people think he was. He was compassionate. He was kind. He was loving. He was patient. He was understanding. He had wisdom. He didn't tear people down, He built them up. Help me, God. To be more like Jesus and less like Tim. Because you know what? He can change people's lives. I've got to decrease so he can increase. Isn't that what John said? Not Tim's will be done. You ever heard of these divas and these, these uh, prima donnas, you know, They only want a certain kind of bottled water and they have to have certain flowers and they they gotta have certain chocolates, you know. When I come, you know, to act or speak or preach or I have to have it a certain way. Well when I come, I hope that we learn more about Jesus. Let's pray.